So what Christmas gifts that you received are, are, are still impactful to you today? Wonder what, are there any favorite gifts even that you remember looking back on maybe your childhood or for our kids that are here, maybe something that you've recently gotten, maybe something that you're hoping to get this year? Uh, some of them stick in our minds more than others. You know, as a kid, it was always something like a bicycle or something, you know, that's bright and shiny and exciting that you could go play with right away. That, that's always exciting. Or I remember one year I got a, a new pinball machine. That was really cool. Had that in my room for a while. Seemed like I would always get a basketball or a football or something along those lines, you know, every single year. And, and those gifts were all great. But here's the thing about the gifts that we get is, you know, eventually they wear out. That shiny new bike gets not so shiny anymore or it doesn't work the way it used to. Even that pinball machine, which was really cool, uh, kind of lost interest after a little while, you know, and eventually it stopped working. The balls that I got were fun, but they wear out fairly quickly. But one year there was something different that we did at Christmas, and this gift I, I still have with me today because I have the memories from what we did. We decided to join some other family members. We were invited to go on a ski trip around Christmas time in Sun Valley, Idaho. We have some family that I think had a condo there or something, and they invited people to come. And so I was around the sixth grade, I believe, and uh, I'd been skiing one time before. I think I was in first grade. So I didn't have a clue. I didn't know what I was doing. Okay, Going back and been five years, and I was really little the first time. And so I'm excited. I'm looking forward to basically learning how to ski for the first time. And uh, I'm excited, but I'm also just a little bit terrified. Anybody who's been skiing and you remember the first time you got on skis, you know what I'm talking about, right? Because here how, here's how skiing works. They put you on these really long things called skis and then put you at the top of a really steep hill that goes down on a frozen substance. And here's the problem with skis. They don't have brakes. And so that's the scary part, right? How, how do you stop yourself? And they teach you snowplow, which is a very unnatural kind of a thing. You know, you turn your knees in like this and it, it'll hopefully make you stop. But I was still young enough and still close enough to the ground that I think my strategy was just flop over in the snow. If you get nervous, you know, just do like that. And so I did that for a little while, but I did take lessons that year and kind of learn to ski. And at that age, you know, you kind of pick things up pretty quick. And so by the end of the, of the week, I'm just all over the mountain and loving it. And I remember the last days skiing with my dad. And he was being a good sport. It was snowing hard. We couldn't see very well. Snow's just coming down, but, but he was being a trooper with me. So we go up on the mountain. We're trying to make our way down because even at that point, I'd had enough. I was like, it's cold. I know my dad had had enough, and he was just, you know, trying to, to come along to, to be with me, I think. But uh, we, we start making our way down the mountain, and we can't see where we're going. But we're trying to do the best, and I'm just following him wherever he goes, I go, you know. And so he's going down, and if you've ever skied before, you know how this works. They have these little, some little trails that kind of go sideways around the mountain, and then it'll break off and go down, and then there may be another one sideways. And sometimes that's how you can, can get down without going down some of the crazy slopes. But So we're going along and, and, and going on one of these flat trails, and he doesn't realize that there is a, a point that it kind of breaks off and starts to go down like this. And so... You know, this couldn't happen again in a hundred different tries if he wasn't doing it on purpose, but it just so happened that as he was going, his left ski stayed on the straight trail, and right ski kind of started going down the downhill trail. And so I'm behind my dad, and I watch him, 
just kind of start to go like this until he just jumped over after a little while. Last time my dad ever put skis on. I mean, he was frustrated at that point. He was a great sport to be up there doing it with me to begin with. But we get to the bottom of the mountain, and that was, that was kind of it for him. But we actually have a picture. If you want to see what we looked like back then. My dad looks good, doesn't he? I mean, he's still leaving after and, and he's got his skis. And there's nerdy sixth grade Blake with my big old thick glasses on, you know. Uh, that was us in Sun Valley, Idaho, when about 40 years ago, we still to this day laugh about that story. I think I laugh about it more than my dad does. But, but we laugh about that story of him just kind of going sideways and falling over. And that's a memory that we have to this day. That's a gift that's a little different. Something that you can take with you literally for a lifetime. But today I want us to jump into just a, a brief discussion what we started with our kids a moment ago. We're talking about the greatest gift of Christmas being Jesus, and I think we all know that. But here's why that's the case. Because the gift of Jesus certainly lasts a lifetime, but it lasts beyond that. It lasts for eternity. And so if you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open with me to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll put the words on the screen so you can follow along that way. But in John 1, starting in verse 9, it says, The true light... That gives light to everything, excuse me, to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. So it says there at the end of verse 10 that he came to to his own, but it says that the world did not recognize him. And you know, it's really no surprise that the world did not recognize him. Who would have expected that God would make his entry onto the human stage the way that he did? That he would come in a insignificant, small little country town, that his parents would be a young couple of no social standing whatsoever, who weren't even married, that God made human flesh would spend his first night in a feeding trough surrounded by smelly farm animals. It doesn't make a lot of sense. That's not what anyone would have been looking for. And then think about even once he became an adult and once Jesus launched his public ministry, who would have expected him to give so much time and attention to social outcasts and those who had no real power or influence? I mean, who would have expected Jesus to eat with sinners and to invite himself to the home of a tax collector? Nobody saw that coming. I mean, who would have expected the king of kings to be arrested, falsely accused, and sentenced to death? Who would have expected him to keep his mouth closed and make no defense of himself? Who would have thought that God himself would subject himself to being arrested, falsely accused, brutally beaten, and then nailed to a cross? I think we can understand why people did not recognize Jesus. But it does say that some did. Most of them did not receive him because they didn't recognize him as he was. But verse 12 says, yet to all who did receive him, 
to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now we're going to talk about that in a minute, but that's, that's a pretty exciting truth there, the thought that we can become children of God. And I want to tell you right now that if you have not yet taken that step to become a child of God, you can do that tonight before you leave. But Jesus is the greatest gift ever because he gives us the opportunity to be born into the family of God. In fact, in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why the baby Jesus was born in the first place. It's because he desires a relationship with us. When he says he came to seek and to save the lost, lost meaning spiritually lost, separated from God. And that's our condition apart from Christ. See, I need a Savior. And the reason I do is because I'm sinful. And you are too. Every one of us falls short of God's standard of perfection. And so we need a Savior. We need someone who can cover us, who can give us forgiveness for our sins. And that's why Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. That's what qualified him to become our sin substitute. Nobody else could have done this because nobody else was able to to live this life of perfection that God demanded. But Jesus did. And so he became our substitute for payment that God requires. Listen to the way it's phrased in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, some of you know this backwards and forwards. Some of you, maybe, maybe this is fairly new to you, but whether you've heard it a thousand times or whether you're hearing it for the very first time, I want you to just listen to that truth again. That God made him who had no sin of his own to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, what that's saying is that, that God replaced our sinfulness with his righteousness. I like to think of it like this. The Bible talks about us clothing ourselves with Christ. I mean, think about that. If we are sinful, if we're dirty, and, and we clothe ourselves with Christ, then we are putting righteousness on that covers up our sinfulness. That's what happens when we trust in Christ. We take on His righteousness. But the way we do that is, it says, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name. In his name means who he is, in his character. To receive Jesus means that we accept him as he is. Last Friday, our oldest daughter, Brooke, received Austin as her husband. And Austin received Brooke as his wife. Now, I didn't do their premarital counseling. That's probably a good thing, right? I am going to do yours someday, Autumn. I'm just saying. (laughs) But when I do, when I do premarital counseling with couples, uh, one of the things that that we talk through is just, you know, expectations and things like that. And I always like to hit on this, that if you think you're going to change someone after you marry them, you're in for a rude awakening, Right? When you receive someone as your spouse, you're receiving that person as they are. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't improve. That doesn't mean that we can't help each other grow. That's what should happen in a marriage. But some of you have probably been there before. You're like, yeah, I've tried that. I thought that I could marry and then change this person into something else. It doesn't work that way. 
And if it doesn't work that way in a marriage, it sure doesn't work that way when it comes to receiving Jesus as he is. We don't receive Christ with the thought that, oh yeah, I'll receive him on my terms or I'll receive him to, you know, kind of make him this in my life. We receive him as he is and who is he? He's God in human flesh. He's the Lord. He's King of kings, Lord of lords. And so if we receive him, we receive him as he is. That means that we, we trust him with all of our hearts and we allow him uh, to be in control of our lives. And when we do that, then it says that, that we are, uh, that, that we become, we give him the right to become children of God. Now again, I, I know many of you have heard this before, but guys, we have been brought into the family of God. We have been given the opportunity to become sons and daughters of God himself. That is mind-blowing. But that's the gift that he offers to us if we will trust him. That means that if you've trusted in Christ, that you belong to him. It means that you are loved by him. It, it means that he has good plans for you, that he will give you a hope and a future, that he will never leave you or forsake you, that he will empower you with his Holy Spirit. It means that we can know him intimately. We can walk with him Every single day. That's what it means to, to be brought into God's family. And really the most important gift of all is it means that we can spend eternity with him when this life is over. Because our sins have been covered by Christ. So I just want to ask you a simple question tonight. And that is, have you received this gift? Because a gift only becomes ours when we receive it. Have you received the gift of eternal life that comes through Christ? Have you received Jesus as he is? If so, you have a lot to celebrate. And I want to encourage you through this Christmas season, and especially through your celebrations tomorrow, to make sure that Christ is the, the center point of your celebration, that you are, are remembering uh, what an incredible gift it is that we have been brought into the family of God. And if you've not yet made that decision to trust in Christ, then my simple question is, why not? And are you ready at this point to, to, to make that decision to trust in Jesus? In just a moment, I want to lead you through a prayer. And it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. If you're ready to receive Jesus as he is, as the Lord that, that he is, and I want to invite you to, to pray a prayer. Um, I'm going to lead you through that. See, the work's already been done. Jesus has already done everything for us. So the question is, what's stopping you from trusting him? What's stopping you from receiving the gift that he wants to give you today? All we need to do is pray. We need to trust him. We need to give our hearts to him. So let's pray now. Let's bow our heads together. Tonight, if you are ready to make that decision to turn away from your sin and put your faith in Jesus and trust him with all of your heart, then I want you to pray a prayer something like this. We'll even put the words on the screen for you so you have something to follow along. It's not about the words. It's about our heart. If you're ready to open your heart to Christ tonight, then pray this prayer with me. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth to save me from my sins. Right now, I confess my sinfulness to you. I also confess that I receive you as my Savior and Lord. 
I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. Right now I turn away from my sinfulness and I put my whole trust in you. I'm yours. In your name I pray. Amen.